Well, we're going to take a break from Romans for the next few weeks, and so we want to consider Christmas and Advent, not just in our songs and in the candles, but even as we come to uh, the sermon portion of, of our morning. And as I prayed a moment ago, I'm convinced that at Christmas time, we need, in fact, to hear um, not only these truths about Advent and Christmas, but we need to hear the Christmas story. Um, it's one of those stories, uh, especially if you've been a Christian since you were little or for a long time. Um, I, I know I wrestle with this every year. I, I sit down at my desk, I open up my Bible, and I've got my computer Bible open, and I start to prayerfully think about what to say regarding Christmas and, and things. And, and there's a part of me that goes, oh, what do you say? I mean, it's the same story. And I kind of have this little, you know, like battle back and forth. But it was so good to, to kind of push beyond that and not try to be gimmicky or clever um, because we, we need to hear this. We need to hear the story. Um, again, we have a lot of wonderful things, um, light parades and, you know, parties and, and, and all the stuff, and it's good and fine in its place. But, but in uh, the gospel according to Matthew and, and the gospel according to Luke, the two gospel accounts that, that give us the details of the birth of Jesus, we need to come back to them again and again. So please open to Luke chapter 1, if you have a Bible, or swipe on your device. Luke chapter 1. I want to read for us what is actually often referred to, and maybe other traditions more so, but the, the, the Annunciation passage, where, where Mary is visited by Gabriel, and, and she's told what is going to happen. And so if you follow along, I'll read Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. 
And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. To Mary here in Luke's account and to Joseph in in Matthew's account, and we're not in Matthew's account today, but it's interesting because one of the phrases that the angel says to both is, do not be afraid. Now in the old King James, some of you maybe grew up with the old King James, it's two words. It's fear not, fear not. One of the commands, maybe even I think if memory is correct, that the command repeated the most often in the Hebrew scriptures, fear not, fear not. And as this angel shows up in, in our account today of the birth of Jesus, this annunciation, that's one of the first phrases the angel says, and, and, and rightly so. Uh, if an angel showed up, uh, we would be terrified as well. Mary's response is one of fear. Uh, angels, when they appear throughout the Bible to humans, uh, they aren't cute, plump, cherub-looking creatures like artists depict. Uh, they, they are warriors. They, they are probably creatures like anything we've seen, and, and we would be terrified. But, but here's the, the reality. Leaving the angel showing up to Mary for a moment, um, There's many things in life that reveal fears. In our life, there are many things that reveal fears. We work hard to be stable and secure, to not show it, maybe. But our jobs often are a source of fear, or or rather, a lack of job security. Uh, Related to that can often be financial fears, financial insecurity, Can we pay our our bills? Can we cover what needs to be covered? Is there enough? What about the proverbial rainy day when when the car's going to need something or or something's going to go wrong on the house? And and what do we do? How do we manage that? All all of those things can bring fear in in our lives to to less degree, maybe, or more degree, but it's, it's common. There are fears, of course, in our world today related to this ongoing war in, 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 the, in Europe between Russia and Ukraine, of course, now over two months, uh, the war between Israel and Hamas. And, and of course, we're far removed, but we hear it. I was in my office downtown just the other day on Friday, and all of a sudden there's noise like I haven't heard, and I come out, and there's some people marching with bullhorns, um, and, and they, they sounded rather scary, to be honest. Um, and their violent um, free speech rights uh, with their opinions of things. So we're far away, but we hear it, we see it here, and then the ripple effects out. You know, what if this group gets help from this country, and, 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 you know, and what does that mean? And, and, and those are real fears, real, real things. We have fears for those of us that are parents for our kids. Will they be healthy? Um, will, they, will they get the education we want them to have and they need for a future, um, for their, their growth? You know, if, if, if we're raising kids in the church, will they come to believe in Jesus, respond to the gospel? Will they stay with it and follow it and, and show, like we've talked about in Romans the last couple of weeks, that, that by their fruit in their life, they have been justified, they have been saved. Will, will that fruit be there to give evidence that God has done that work? And, and we worry about those things. Uh, maybe 
um, if you're, you're, you have parents that are older and you've got fears related to your parents for, for their health, for their well-being, fears related to interpersonal relationships, maybe within a family, extended family, um, what people think of us. I mean, on and on it goes. We, we do get afraid. And so we need this this word today, and, and there's so much in here, and we're going to walk through the account, um, but, but kind of the big hope on my heart is that we would hear what, what the angel said to, to Mary, do not be afraid, and, and that we would hear that today, don't be afraid, because here's the truth within this, as, as the angel comes to Mary and says that, again, granted, a big part of it was she was terrified by what she saw, but nonetheless, his message, the angel's message is, God accomplishes his promises. Don't be afraid, Mary, at me or what I'm about to tell you, because actually what I'm about to tell you is that God fulfills his promises. And we need to hear that too. We need to not be afraid of all the things in our life that bring us fears, because God is still the same God who fulfilled his promises to send Jesus, and he will fulfill his promises once again to send Jesus. And because that's who God is, he'll fulfill other promises in our life as well. So let's, let's walk through this very familiar account and, and hear these words. So at this point in, in Luke, in his writing, he says, in the sixth month, now again, we heard it later in the passage, but this is reference to uh, the sixth month of Mary's cousin Elizabeth, who's pregnant. So she's six months along, she's showing, uh, and she's got John the baptizer in her womb, and she has no idea what kind of a son he's going to grow up to be, and uh, how people will love and hate him, to be sure. Um, And Mary's going to go visit Elizabeth a little bit later in the account. We won't look at that. But that's what Luke is referring to. In the sixth month of of Elizabeth's pregnancy, now the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. A bunch of words in here that, again, we, we understand, we know, but we need to be reminded. And maybe these will be words we learn for the first time um, as well. Uh, betrothed. Is that just kind of old Bible, you know, language? What does that mean? Well, it's actually a word we don't use much in, in the United States anyway. Um, it's similar to some degree to being, uh, to engagement, uh, but it actually has a lot more to it. In, in a Jewish betrothal, uh, there would be two big steps. There would be the formal engagement, which included uh, a written contract and an exchange of a bridal price. And then uh, probably about a year later, there would be a wedding. Okay? I was engaged for a year and a half, but it was not a betrothal like this. Okay? Um, and we understand engagement in our day to be, you know, generally speaking, right? Uh, the, the, the man proposes, he asks this woman to be his wife, and she hopefully says yes, and then they set a date for the wedding, and so they are engaged. But in betrothal, which could, could be a long time, it's a formal contract, and, and there's a formality to it. And, and in one sense, in a betrothal, uh, the wife is legally connected to her to be husband. And this is why if we were reading Matthew's account, and some of you recall, when when Matthew 
is told in a dream about what is to happen, he, he decides and thinks, I need to divorce her because if she's pregnant, that means she's been unfaithful and, and that's grounds for divorce. And, and it says that Matthew was a, a just man and that's kind of technical for saying he was, he was righteous in how he lived. He was following Torah. He was pursuing God and, and he had a reputation of being a man of God. And, and if his betrothed is pregnant, people will think things and especially in a shame, honor society like that, it wouldn't be good. And so he, he thinks through, I must divorce, even though there hadn't been a wedding, but because of betrothal, that was part of what was legally allowed. So that's, that's betrothed. Mary is betrothed to Joseph, who's of the house of David. And, and Luke here records for us that, that Mary is a virgin. And this word is going to come up again later, and we'll talk about that word again in a moment. Verse 28, and he came to her, this is Gabriel, and he said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, fear not, for you have found favor with God. Now I want you to see two times there in verse 28 and in verse 30, the word favor. This is the word grace. This is the word grace. Gabriel tells Mary twice, you are the recipient of God's grace. You are the recipient of God's grace and favor. Mary, you're not the giver of grace and favor. No, but you, you are graced by God. You, you have received favor, not because of anything in her life or anything in how she came into this world, but simply because in the, the planning and time of God and his sovereignty, when, when it was time as as the scriptures would say, in the fullness of time, the apostle Paul would write, when God sent forth his son, God had planned and Mary was the one. She was available and she was, she was available and, and she was favored by God, graced by God. And he says to her, fear not. And, and again, as I've mentioned, she, she would have been afraid. Verse 31 The angel says, behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. So we're reading in English, which is a translation of the Greek, but but this word Jesus, this is the equivalent of the Hebrew word Joshua. And so we maybe know that word in that book. Uh, And of course, Joshua is a great hero of the faith for God's people. And the word Joshua, the name Joshua means uh, savior, God saves. And so the angel is saying, Mary, don't be afraid. You've found favor. And so he says it twice. You've been favored. You've, you've got God's favor, his grace. You will conceive and have a son and you're to give him the name. Call his name Joshua, God saves. And then now these next two verses really start to unpack this message that God is giving Mary through the angel, uh, again, related to how he keeps his promises. Verse 32 and verse 33. This, this son that you will bear, that you're to give the name Jesus, he, verse 32, will be great. 
Mega is the word in Greek. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So, Those verses have so much to them. Let's take a look. Gabriel uses two, in particular, two common Hebrew scripture, Old Testament names for God, both in verse 32, most high and Lord God, to to assure Mary that what he's delivering isn't, isn't just a dream. She didn't eat something the night before that's causing her to, you know, hallucinate. Like, this is from God, and what what he's about to say about the son who she's going to bear, who's to be named Jesus, uh, includes the truth that he will be called, not only Jesus, but the son of the most high and, and again, that's a reference to God the Father, and then the Lord God will give him uh, this fulfillment of, of something, and we'll, we'll come to that. But let's talk about these two names. So first, most high in the Hebrew scriptures, that's El Elyon, and this is, uh, one of the names for the true God that comes first from Genesis 14. And of all people, uh, it comes from Melchizedek. We went through the book of Hebrews a few years ago. Some of you might remember uh, this Melchizedek, king of Salem, uh, shows up in Genesis and he's referenced in Psalms and Hebrews. He's not an Israelite. He's not Jewish. Okay, He's a Gentile. Uh, and he identifies Yahweh as he's speaking with Abraham as God most High, El Elyon. Interesting, it's used again by another Gentile, uh, Balaam, in Numbers 24, 16. So these two Gentiles refer to God as El Elyon, the Most High, but it becomes a very um, common name for God used by the Jews who are monotheistic. The Gentiles probably not monotheistic, of course, but, but so, so. Uh, Melchizedek uses it and Balaam uses it to refer to the true God but then it's a word that becomes a favorite one it's used often in the Psalms it's used in Daniel as a title for God and so it becomes this, this word for who God is John he, John the baptizer he is going to be the prophet of the Most High that, that comes in verse 76 but Jesus is the son of the Most High. He is the promised successor to the throne of David. So that's what the verse goes on to speak of. We'll get to that in a second. The other name of God that is used there at the end of 32 is the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, Lord God. And so this word too is important. You see, in the century that led up to the birth of Jesus, the Romans, of course, are in control. And in, in, in that world, when a powerful Roman empire dominated as they did, especially in Palestine, uh, the hope for the coming Messiah, to the anointed one, uh, to free God's people from uh, the oppressors of Rome, it was intense. They were yearning and longing for Messiah to come. And there was all kind of diverse expectations about the, what this would look like. The dominant hope for what Messiah would be and do came from uh, the, the promises made to King David. And so 
the, the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, will give him, give to him, Jesus, the one to be born, the throne, verse 32 says, of his father, David. And he will reign, rule over the house of Jacob, over God's people forever. And just to say it another way, of his kingdom, there will be no end. And so again, we begin to now narrow into these promises. This passage is is speaking of the covenant that God made to David from 2 Samuel 7. Uh, David, it's reiterated in Psalm 89. David was promised that God would raise up his seed after him and this seed would have this father-son relationship with God and he would reign forever on his throne. And so this promise to David was taken up by the prophets and it became the foundation for Israel's hope. Again, in 2 Samuel, but the prophets, they would lean into this as well. And so for example, Isaiah Chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. You know these verses at Christmas time. I won't sing it, by the way. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Daryl Bach, New Testament scholar, he writes this. This promise involves the sonship promise of the Old Testament spoken about a son of David that God would be his father, 2 Samuel 7, verses 16 to 6 to 16. As the son of the Most High, Jesus takes on a special relationship to God as the representative of divine promise on earth. Once his kingdom is established, it will never end. The one who always was king will set up a kingdom where the presence of his authority and the benefits of salvation are distributed to those who ally, who ally themselves to him. And this child will be both son of the Most High, verse 32, and the son of God, which we'll see in verse 35. So this son to be uh, conceived by Mary and to be born by Mary, who's to receive this name Jesus, all of a sudden, as Luke is writing and his first readers are reading and hearing, this child is introduced in, in terms that can be understood as a king for Israel. The, the origin, Bach writes, and humble setting for the birth of such a stellar regal figure should already alert us And the early hearers would have been alerted to the fact that God often works in strange ways. So they're familiar. Mary was familiar with these promises that had been made hundreds of years before. And and she um, rightly responds, verse 34, Mary said to the angel, angel, how will this be? And specifically, Mr. Gabriel, how will this be? since I am a virgin. 
And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High, there's that phrase again for God, will overshadow you, will will work. (laughs) Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So once again, we have the statement of, of Mary being a virgin. And, and she, she understands to, to bear a son requires uh, she have relations with her husband. And she knows uh, she's betrothed. And so time to have with her husband in that way it has not happened yet. It will come down the road. And so she responds, how will this be? And again, the angel responds, the Holy Spirit is going to work um, a miracle a miracle. I just want to note for a moment, and this will be quick and brief, and um, I know sometimes we hear things, we read things. You know, one of the things I've been reminded of, my kids have heard me say this recently, um, but please don't Google Bible questions you have and theology questions you have. Sometimes there'll be a good answer, but but and again, I love the fact that we can look things up. I mean, yesterday, I can't tell you, probably six different times, oh, what does Google have to say about, you know, who won this college game or whatever, different things. But, but friends, when it comes to God's word, we, we need to get beyond Googling as convenient and quick as it is. Uh, we need to go back in time to a day when we went to our concordance in the back of our Bible. Some of you younger folks are like, what is a concordance? Um, a place where the editors of our Bibles, not every occasion, but, but many occasions of words, they, they list them and then they list where those words are found. And so if you're wanting to understand something, you go to a concordance and you find that word. Um, you buy Bible dictionaries, big fat books that use, you can use to hold your door open in the summer, but when you need an answer, um, they help you. Um, and, and even computer, I'm not against computers. I'm so thankful for my computer Bible um, and the resources um, but here's my little point of this little rant. I ask you to forgive me for a rant. The word virgin, this is one of those words that comes up and people say, oh, you Christians, you've, you've screwed up the understanding of this word. You've got an agenda. You, you know, your, your, your agenda that Jesus be born of a virgin has caused you to misinterpret, you know, this, this word. And, and they'll say things like, for example, in Isaiah, uh, let's turn there. In Isaiah, another Isaiah uh, verse, Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And so uh, opponents of Christianity and whatnot, they'll say, well, see, that word there in the Hebrew, in Isaiah, is the word Alma. And that word um, can mean virgin, but it also can simply refer to a young woman. And they're right. It, it can. It doesn't have to mean virgin. Alma doesn't have to mean, mean virgin. And so they say, so see, that's not what that word means. Okay. It's just a young woman. Okay. And, and, but again, your, your agenda is causing you to want to translate a virgin. But what they often don't know, um, because again, they're just spitting out what they've heard again and again and again, is that hundreds of years before Jesus was born, uh, this group of 70 scholars um, translated the Hebrew scriptures into Greek, the Septuagint. We talk about it now and then, the LXX, the 70, the Septuagint. 
And as they have the Hebrew and they come to this word Alma, and they have to decide, and they aren't Christians yet, by the way. Jesus hasn't been born yet. They have no agenda. They come to this word and they've got words in Greek to pull from. And as they read Isaiah, I believe under God's inspiration, they use a word parthenos. That can only mean virgin. If, if, if they wanted to pick a word for a young maiden, there were other words to pick, but they picked Parthenos, kind of like the, the great Parthenos, right? This temple to the virgin, Parthenos, okay? That's the word. And so in the Septuagint, in the Greek translation of Isaiah, they choose a word because they, under God's guidance, know that, no, it means virgin. Now, again, Isaiah, right, there was immediate fulfillment, yes, a young woman, but this verse is pointing ahead, it's prophecy, because that's been God's plan, that there would be this woman, Mary, who would be a Parthenos, a virgin, and she would say, Angel Gabriel, how can I have a baby? I am a virgin. And Gabriel says, I know, don't worry. God knows, God planned this, it's been prophesied. And so God will do a miracle. And there's nothing scandalous. I think that's one of the things I most hate is when people read ugly, dirty things into verse 35 that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and they try to sexualize that. It just means God will do this miracle. The Holy Spirit will do a miracle so that you'll have eggs and there will be no uh, sperm to fertilize that egg, but God's gonna do a miracle. God's gonna do a miracle in you. And, and overshadow the normal biological operations. And therefore, Mary, this child, this son that will be born, that you will give the name Jesus, God saves, this child to be born will be holy. The son of God. And we could spend another sermon or two just unpacking that and other important reasons why Jesus had to be um, born a virgin and, and, and all, all those things. I'll just say this quickly. These verses highlight the sinfulness of humanity, all of us. Psalm 142, excuse me, 143 verse 2. Enter not into judgment with your servant for no one living is righteous. Or in the New Testament, Ephesians 2, 3 among whom Paul says, we all once lived in passions of our flesh and we carried out desires of the body and we were all by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, like the rest of humanity. The sinfulness of humanity, we, we, we're, we're there, we all get it. But now listen to a few verses that speak of the sinlessness of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, God the Father made him, Jesus, to be sin who didn't know sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That should be language if you've been with us in Romans, you've heard this righteousness language, um, this righteousness that's external to be received for, for us because only the righteous one can do it. Hebrews 4, verse 15. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 1 Peter 2.22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, or 1 John 3.5, 
you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. So this is just the Bible's attestation of of Jesus and his sinless life. This birth of Jesus is presented as a miraculous, supernatural occurrence. And so to reject reject it wholesale, right, Um, because again, everybody else in the world has always been born the normal, natural, biological way, but again, to deny it is, is to deny the reality of supernatural events anyway and the miraculous in principle. And obviously, can't accept it. Uh, again, those doubts come from a naturalistic, humanistic worldview. This is a miracle, right? Christmas is a miracle. It's, it's a mir- miraculous thing. Therefore, a person's response to these truths also reveal a worldview about what we think of about God and his ability to act in the world, his ability to fulfill his promises. He will be holy, the holy son of God. Verse 36, the angel continues, Behold, your relative Elizabeth is in, in her old age. She, she was well past the age when women generally could conceive the normal, natural, biological way, but the angel says she has conceived a son. And it's the sixth month with her who was called barren. That was kind of what they said about poor Elizabeth, the the barren one. Again, it's harsh, but that was a big thing in those days. A woman wanted and needed to be able to have kids to pass on the family line, and and it was um, a horrible, sad thing uh, for women who couldn't have children but now she is pregnant. And then the angel, he quotes some scripture. I love this. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary would know that. She would have said, oh, I've heard that. Because in Genesis 18, verse 14, and here is the Septuagint translation, the, the Greek translation from the Hebrew, nothing is impossible with God. And that's a reference to God's miraculous intervention in Sarah, who was well past the age of having kids, who was barren, and God works in a miraculous way so that she becomes pregnant. Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, who would go on to have Isaac and so on, and then the line, Jacob. God's intervention in the case of Elizabeth and Sarah, nothing is impossible with God, once again is proof that God can accomplish anything, even a virginal conception promised to Mary. Interestingly, Jesus, as he grows up, he would have a discussion with his followers. They would see some rich people, and conventional wisdom in Jesus' day was, if you were rich and well-off, that surely meant God had blessed you, and so therefore you were saved, you were right with God. Um, And so there's this discussion, uh, and Jesus speaks about how it's hard, actually, for the rich to to enter the kingdom, to, to be saved, because they rely on their wealth. And his disciples, they scratch their heads and say, wait, wait a minute. No, no, really? Doesn't the rich mean God's blessed? And Jesus responds by quoting the same word. Verse, uh, Matthew verse nine, chapter 19, verse 26. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Yes, guys, even the poor can be saved <laughs> because with God, 
it's possible. God can bring salvation to Sarah by, by saving her womb and, and bringing the child of promise. God can, as the angel says to Mary, nothing's impossible, Mary. God can work this miracle and cause you to become pregnant and bring this baby. You're to name Jesus, and Jesus would grow up in, in regard to how we get saved. It's not by our money. It's not by God blessing us financially. It's by, by our reception of the gift, because nothing is impossible with God. Mary responds, verse 38, behold, I am the servant, literally slave, like I'm, I'm a slave of the Lord in this. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. 900 years earlier, 900. How old is the United States? 200 and some change. Right? I mean, we, okay. 900 years earlier than Mary, God promised King David this promise. I will give you offspring and he will reign forever. Jesus would be that promised one. And God fulfills his promises. Took 900 years from that point, but all of a sudden Mary is the recipient of it. And so he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear not. You've been given God's favor. You're, you're graced. Okay, not because you've done anything, but God's just choosing you. Don't be afraid. What's going to happen is going to scare you and cause all kind of trouble in your life. He doesn't say all that. At least we don't hear it recorded. But we know that's what happens. But, but this is God fulfilling his promises. So church, in 2023, as we read and hear this account, this annunciation of what would happen, and Jesus hasn't been born yet, that comes in a little bit later in in Luke, as we hear this word of the angel to Mary, fear not, don't be afraid. God keeps his promises. I want us to, to hear that today. On December 10th, 2023, with all the fears in our life, maybe some of the ones I tried to illustrate at the beginning, maybe there's others I didn't illustrate, but you're aware of. God keeps his promises. He promised to send Jesus, and he did. He promised it in several different types of prophecy, and, and he fulfills his promises. He came. He's, he's coming back. That's why at Advent we remember his first and we look to his second. He's, he will come. What, what are you struggling with to, to fear? God keeps his promises. So maybe it's taking to heart again, Isaiah 41. Fear not. There's that command. But then the reason, for I am with you, God says. For us as Christians to know, okay, I've got the spirit inside me as this deposit. That's the language the New Testament uses of, of the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit coming in us. He's, he's there guaranteeing that we're securing God. And Jesus said, I'm with you to the end of the age through my spirit who indwells you. I'm, I'm at the throne, the right hand of God. I'm, I'm your advocate. I'm your high priest. I'm praying for you. Fear not. Now we, 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 we held on to this promise from Isaiah for I am with you. And then, don't be troubled, be not dismayed, for I am your God, I'm, I'm for you. I will, I will strengthen you, 
Do you need strength ever? I do. Do you need help? I do, all the time, every hour and minute. God says, I will strengthen you, I will help you. And then he says, so hold on to me with everything you got? No. He says, I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. I've got you. Are you afraid? Does life, does it just feel like you're just on the brink of giving in, giving up, whatever of your fears? Fear not, I'm with you. Don't be troubled, I, I'm your God. I, I will strengthen you, I will help you. I will continue to hold on to you with my righteous right hand. God keeps his promises. Or in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24. I love this. Now, it's a benediction, but hear hear the promise. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Do you feel like your, your journey... In, in becoming more like Jesus, sometimes it's like a crazy roller coaster or like you're a train derailed. God says, through this benediction, he will completely sanctify us. He says, may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. He's the God who will do this at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you, who called you to believe on Jesus, is Faithful, he will surely do it. Don't be afraid. God will finish what he started. So this Christmas season, fear not. We can trust God to accomplish his promises. Mary has the right response. I'm your slave. Okay, God. And she would struggle as any human would, but she knows and trusts God will keep his, his promises so she says, I'm your slave. She doesn't have all the answers. What is this going to mean? Right? What's it going to look like? Uh, you have questions. I have questions. But God can be trusted. So here's my question as we go to pray and then sing our final song. Is there one area, one specific area that the Spirit today is nudging you to trust him with? If there is just one area, and maybe you're saying, Paul, I got 18 But maybe there's one that you can simply, in a moment, just say, okay, God, I will trust you. I don't have all the answers. I'm scared, but I hear this word that you gave to Mary. I hear your word to me. Don't be afraid. Fear not. You keep your promises. And so surrender that to him. Would you stand and and let's pray toward that end and, and, and behold once more through song, the wondrous mystery of the incarnation, God in the flesh, our Savior born to us. Father in heaven, thank you for the story that we're familiar with, but there's so much great truth we need to again and again hear and slow down into. And so whatever the one area is, maybe some of us have identified, or God, maybe it's multiple areas, help us, like Mary, surrender and trust you and believe you that you are a God who keeps his promises, even as you did in keeping your promises to send Jesus, you'll keep your promises that involve us too. So we need your help. Thank you, Spirit, for being in us. Help us behold the wonder of all these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.